right, sweet. Um, Titus is where we were at the end of the spring, at the start of the summer, uh, when we went on hiatus uh, from Sunday school. And we will pick up in Titus here in just a few weeks. Um, And in the future, just to kind of come out in our study today, my heart is to go back to Genesis 1 through 11. I taught on that about seven or eight years ago and go back to it just because it is so desperately needful today. And again, that will come up. Uh, My desire also is to take some time and just not assume the saints know how to study God's word. And go back and go, how do I open God's word? How do I study God's word? How do I go into it? That I can know it in my kitchen. That I don't have to, I don't have to wait until Sunday morning uh, to get into God's word. I can get into it by myself um, and be blessed by it. But I would like to take here two weeks um, and talk about darkness. Um, what do you do when you find yourself in darkness? Um, and not merely because I've been in this or am in this, uh, but because we will be there. We will all be there, or we will know others. Hi, Kate. We will know others uh, who have been there. So we're just going to start with what, what a kind of a chocolate mess the world is in uh, right now. Uh, have you heard anything in the news or through social media about suicides? Yeah. Where are they up? Teens. Amongst whom? Teens. 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 I have people on base with the military. Suicides are up. Military suicide is up. And hey, we're going to have more training so that you don't kill yourself or so that you can recognize the signs. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not going to stop it. It's not just teens. I mean, it's adults. You're right. It is across the board. Suicides are up. People are killing themselves at a, an alarming pace. Marriage. What do you know about marriage? Down. It's down. The marriage rate. Does it, it like makes it look like a perfect talk about it makes it look like the divorce rates are rates are down, but like marriage is happening. Oh much yeah. Less. Like so, they're saying it's not an actual. You know, if you look at divorces per marriage. Yeah. Now, now you have a, a statistic you could. Yeah. Relate. But divorce and marriage per greater yeah. population is. So, so the marriage rate is plummeting. Divorce is rampant. Amongst whom? Who's divorcing? Yeah, everyone's divorcing. Early marrieds, newly marrieds, they're divorcing. Old marrieds, they're divorcing. 30 years. First and second year marriage is divorcing. Second and third year is divorcing. Second and third marriages. Are divorcing, yeah. It's, it's, it becomes habitual. You know, um, your, your spouse becomes disposable. I've used up this model. Let me get a new one. Um, 
we abort children regularly. We abort children regularly. And at the same time, if a mother kills the baby in her womb because she's doing opioids, it becomes a thing. It's no different. It's no different. The one, the, the one child she killed accidentally, I'd almost, I'd almost give her the benefit of the doubt, the woman doing drugs, she should know better. But she's not purposefully trying to destroy her child. But that gets a pass. That's nuts. You, get, you guys heard of opioids? Okay. Epidemic. Epidemic in places. Yeah, we live in Florida before, so it's an Okay, it's, it's, it's recreational drug. It's really addicting and really deadly. Okay, it's... Why? It's terrible. What's happening in the church? It's happening to the church. Yeah. It's, it's funny even hearing like uh, a rugged friend from a Catholic person. And they're, they're, they're having some hard times over there. Like they're fleeing and then uh, apparently a pretty big liberal movement on the inside moving up the ranks. And the, the only place where you see Christendom really in our country in Western civilization... Europe and here. The only place that's kind of holding its own is amongst fundamental evangelicals. Bible preachers, the ones that hold fast to the word of God. Those churches are still strong and flourishing, but out of those churches, our young people go and never return. Politically and culturally, how are we doing? Yeah. You know, bailing water with like teacups, you know, on the Titanic. It's not gonna work. And people will say, ah, you know, civil war, man, we were divided, we were a divided nation. But you had a foundation that you could appeal to between the union and the Rebs a fundamental understanding of right and wrong where you could go, yes. You could appeal to something outside of yourselves. That's all gone. And so you see this chasm between the left and the right just widening, huge. The world's going off the rails. It's... it's, it's it's crazy. This is a crazy time. We don't even know who we are anymore. Who am I? I mean, you can Google it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe I get a blood test. You know, maybe if I do that DNA thing that Mike Rowe talks about, that I can find out who I really am. 
who my ancestors were. That might tell me who, about me. Because I don't know about me. I don't know what I am. I don't mock that. This is an agony for so many who struggle with same-sex attraction or who, I am a guy, but I don't feel like a guy. I am a woman, but I feel like I should be, I want to be a linebacker. In our country, we have removed the stigma of same-sex attraction. We've removed the stigma of extramarital sex. Pre-marriage, post-marriage, whatever. Which really begs the question, by what authority do we even have any boundaries anymore? Are there boundaries within the sexual realm? Consent. Well, okay, consent. That's the buzzword. What's consent? But even that's a little ubiquitous because if I have a drink now, is that true consent or is that altered consent? And is it someone of equal rank? Because you can't consent if they have higher or lower position. Or equal age. That's, that's <coughs> what? Age what did you say? If it's of equal age. That, that's okay. one of the things that people are saying with the commit, the consent. They're like, oh, it's a consenting child. And it's like, what? Age is, age is <laughs> like the big, bold line. That that's, people that's, have arbitrarily yeah. erected. Oh, no, a relationship with a child is wrong. Why? They can't consent. <coughs> Why? They can go get an abortion all by their lonesome. They can yeah, change but, their gender. Mm-hmm. No, I'm saying that there's people that are arguing that if the child is or minor is consenting. Yeah. That it's, that, that it's okay. Child relationships are okay. You bet. People making that argument. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is... So, we, here we are. God has brought us in to be here. To be in this life. To be in this place at such a time as this. And so, this is, that's why desperately I want to go back to Genesis 1 through 11 to make sure that we have a firm foundation. We won't do that today, obviously. Um, we, as believers, we do not live in some Edenic enclave somewhere where everything is hunky-dory. We all sing kumbaya, nice, wonderful. We, we don't, we can't. We're supposed to be in the world. And it hits us, and it hits us hard, and we're going to have scars, and we're going to be bloodied, and we're going to be bruised. And some of us are going to be broken. So it's not surprising with the ugliness and the uncertainties of life that people find themselves at times in a deep darkness. And so let me ask you, in all of this, what are some things that that people are feeling when they are, when that when this darkness kind of overcomes them what 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 are things people feel in all of this despair okay what else isolation Ooh. 
Instagram, I've got Snapchat, I've got what I've got six foot high fences. Well they seek escape. Mm. Wonderful summer. You can be whatever you want to. No you just can't. Yeah. Nihilism. Yeah. There, there would be the, the, the thing of if nothing matters, you're nihilistic, it just doesn't matter. Some people just want nothing to do with anybody else. Thank you very much, because you guys are icky. So, lonely. I see it. Those things blossom, those feelings blossom, bitterness and anger. <laughs> the world is telling them that all of those things are not true. You can not be any of those things. So I feel like a lot of the pushback is pride. Like, well, I'm not really any of those things. So they're like lying to themselves and to me. <clears throat> Anxious? Hopeless. Overwhelmed. Hopeless. Overwhelmed. Confused. Anxious. <laughs> Confused. What was the other one? Shame. Shame. Um. This is not surprising. This should, you look at the world, you go, of course. Spend five minutes on Drudge or CNN or wherever, and you're going to be going, Whoa. It's one of the amazing things about listening to Albert Muller do the briefing all the time, because he's always, he has the hope of the saint as he is, describing this, all the stuff of the world, you go, oh. So, we look at that and we go, yes, of course, but as a believer, I think we find it surprising when we find ourselves there. Why am I here? Why would I think 
that I should not be in such a place. <clears throat> no. Oh, okay. Why? Just something I've been become aware of, and I heard somebody just put it so clearly. But in our modern age, with inter- uh, all of our entertainment and media, and all of our entertainment says that everything that's wrong in the world is out there, and all the answers to your fulfillment in life and to your life's meaning are within you. So finding your true self, finding your own identity, and pursuing your dreams and your visions, and letting the real you, just like these movies we see, that, that's where your superhero movie comes to right. life. And when we find that our own heart <laughs> is wicked and we can't fulfill all of our own uh, dreams or save ourselves, we're left with and in a simple world, uh, we find ourselves uh, <laughs> absolutely. So the question is, why, as a Christian, do I think that I shouldn't be in such a place? Why do I feel like if I find myself there, I go, "Well, I shouldn't be here." It's just naive and entitlement, like not understanding the human condition and the human heart. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting into the reasons <laughs> why. Oh, yeah, sure. Why do I think I shouldn't be here? God's word tells us, and the Holy Spirit lives within us and teaches us the truth from God's word. The Holy Spirit's in me. I've got God's word. I shouldn't be in this place. Why else do I think I shouldn't be here? But if I had more faith, I wouldn't be that hurt. Oh, come on. Pick yourself up. Faith. Get more faith. Or even just, well, if I... If God is in me, why isn't he working, you know, for, like, my happiness? I don't know if maybe that's a little t- more trite than... No, oh, I don't think it is. <laughs> because Jesus says, my joy, my, you have my joy. My joy is in you. So if, if I have the joy of Christ, I don't feel like it. So I flog myself because I don't have enough faith. I don't have faith. Does that help yourself? No. no. I don't have enough faith. But that's why, I think that's why it's so important that we know God's word. Because <clears throat> that's next week. we don't have faith because we want faith. We have faith because God gives us the faith. Next, next week, this, this week's going to be miserable. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you after, after today knowing misery. Um, really to understand, my, my hope today is, is for you not, not to bring you out of this when you find yourself here, but to know you are going to be here. Or to know somebody will be here. Somebody close to you and dear to you is going to be there. And pom-poms and a rah-rah speech are not going to bring them out of it. Okay? And I would contend it's not abnormal. And we're kind of unpacking that right now. For you to understand and to see that for the Christian to be in places of those is not abnormal 
Okay. Are we supposed to stay there? That's that's a whole other thing. Um. So you know, if I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, I shouldn't be there. Um, if I'm a sojourner, if this is not my home, if I'm looking to the place, then all of this shouldn't bother me, right? I'm supposed to give thanks in all circumstances, right? You're supposed to rejoice. Always, I don't want to rejoice. I've got saints all around me to hold up my arms, to come alongside. Shoulders abound upon which I could cry. So, you know, we start, so I I go, I'm not supposed to be here. But I am here. And so what do I start to think about myself? Am I really a Christian? Or am I... Am I really saved? Am I really saved? Or is there some sin that I'm not aware of or not recognizing that it's like God's punishment for? Well, that's a good thing. We'll save that for next week, too. That's one of those good things that should come out of that darkness that I find myself in. Some of the lies that we tell ourselves, fake it till you make it, right? Put on a happy face, rejoice, because we're supposed to rejoice always. So I'm going to go to church and I'm going to rejoice today. And you can't. It's like those cartoons where the person puts on a fake smile. There's something behind your eyes. It's obvious. Everybody knows when David has a migraine. backing you know what you know what are the stewards gonna think of me if I if I'm what what are other people gonna think do we think that we don't think that do we okay but don't what I'm doing it right now. I don't want people to think that I think that. Yeah, right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I got, I got it. I'm not thinking anything. And, and oh, by the way, you know, you need to be strong for your kids. You need to be strong for Mike right now. I need, I need to be strong for other people so I can't be here right now. John Piper wouldn't be. Piper's been here. So, what a blessing to have this because this book, God's word to us, is overflowing with examples of godly men and women who were in terrible, horrible, dark places. David, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, please. Ebb, 
2 Corinthians 11. Tracy, Job 2. Jeremy, Psalm 32. Sarah, Jeremiah 15. Katie, Jeremiah 37. Just jot that down. I'll give you the verses when we get there. Okay. Let's... Let's stew in this for a bit and see that there were extraordinary believers who battled the darkness. Paul, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. Just the first half of verse 9, if you would. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. We despaired of life itself. What does that mean? What does that mean, I despaired of life itself? What did you say, Trace? Like you just don't want to live anymore. I don't want to live. Done. Dude, this is this is miserable. This is wretched. This is horrible. Despaired even of life itself. This is Paul. This is Paul. What's Paul doing when he's despairing of life itself? What was he doing? He's ministering. He's, he's doing God's work. He's doing God's work and he's despairing of life itself. <laughs> he is not Superman. He's just a guy. I was pointing at you, Jeremy. You are not Superman. You are just a man. None of you is. Paul, the spirit of life while he's doing God's work. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. And apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Okay. If you read back a couple of verses there, Paul's talking about... There's, there's an incredible list of suffering that Paul went through for the gospel. Shipwrecks and beaten and stoned and lashes and all of that. And then he says that daily there is an anxiety about the churches. He is concerned for the churches. What's he concerned about? Wolves coming in and the church is failing. And and just read his epistles. It just pours out everywhere. So there is this anxiety daily, daily this weighs on him. 
Uh, also, I would like you to read uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 and 8. How many times did Paul ask for the Lord to take that away? Three times. Three times. Three times. Three times I asked the Lord to take that away. So how long was this going on? <clears throat> Sounds like a while. That three purposed times probably Paul was on his face, probably with fasting, going, God. Take this from me. He despaired even of life. The anxiety of the churches was on him daily. God gives him an affliction. Satan gives him an affliction. But God gives him an affliction through Satan. He found himself in darkness. You can even see it in the ink of Second Timothy as he is in the dark prison in Rome ready to be executed. In the cold, dank prison without his cloak. As he writes to his son in the Lord. Paul despaired. When we think of people in Scripture who despair, we think of Job. Job, of course. What did Job, what did he have to deal with? He lost everything. He lost fight. all of his. All of his. He lost his. You might as well say he lost his job. Lost his job. Lost his. All of his. His investments are gone. His family is gone, except for his bride. There. Lost his kids. All of his kids. And then, oh by the way, now his body starts to erupt all over. Can anybody put on a happy face in that season of life? Would you be expected? Would you be, wouldn't you be a little concerned if somebody had Snoopy feet? You know, they're dancing through the pastures. Oh, praise God. Oh, dude, Are you, do you have a heart? So you're saying we can still rejoice in the Lord in our hearts. Yes, that'll be next week too. I just want you to be miserable right now. 
Yeah. So Job, man. So Job's, ver- just a couple of verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. I mean, the three friends come. At least somebody came. The three friends came, and it was so devastating that they didn't even recognize him. Oh, man. They just sat with him and they left. They left. Seven days. Should have been 21. Should have just kept going. But then we wouldn't have the rest of the book. So that's what his friends saw. What did Job think of this? Trace, would you read uh, three... Uh, chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, and then skip to verse 11. Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb, and expire? Remember what Paul said? Despaired of life. I despair even of life. But he started out well. He did. He did. I mean, so life's life's going along great. Man, he's a righteous man. Job is a righteous man. How do we know Job is a righteous man? The Bible says so. God says so. Well, the Bible says so, therefore God says so. But you hear God's word actually say that too. Satan, God even says that to Satan. Pulls out his wallet and shows the picture of Job. Says, have you considered my servant Job? None like him. Treasured my heart. So Job is a righteous man and Job is despairing of life. How long was this season of his? I don't know. Long enough for all of these disasters to come upon him and for a season to pass for him to be in mourning month, months. Don't know. Job. Elijah. I'm not going to turn to the passages because they're pretty big. First Kings 18 and First Kings 19. First Kings 18 is Elijah and the prophets of Baal. We would look at that and go, man, that is a great victory. That is an extraordinary (coughs) victory. God did a great thing there. He showed himself mighty and strong. Fabulous. You know, Elijah's going to be up on everybody's shoulders and everything's going to be wonderful and he's going to be preaching and repentance is going to come. What happens in 1 Kings 19? He runs away. Why? He's scared of a woman. He's afraid of Jezebel. Yes. You know, so here God blew the altar to pieces as he accepts the sacrifice. 
They slay all of the prophets, but a woman says, I'm going to have your head. And he goes, how far did he go? Dude ran 100 miles. Not all at once, probably. But he, he went south. He, he went this, almost the length of Israel. Into the wilderness to hide from a woman. And he curled up in the fetal position and was sucking his thumb, essentially. And he just, there's nobody out. There's nobody Right after, right on the heels of victory, right on the heels of a great thing that you saw God did in and through you, boom. I mean, can you fall as far so quickly? Yes. Yeah. David. David was in such seasons in his life. David, who was brought into Saul's inner circle to minister to him and to be a great general, becomes hated by the king and ultimately chased by the king. Murder, attempted murder by the king, throwing spears at me. That's not good. Which makes it doubly bad that my best friend is the king's son, the one who is dear, dear to my heart, the one who I would rather spend time with than anybody on the planet, the one who understands me full well. Our relationship is being ripped apart because of this. David has to flee. David flees. He's in the wilderness with men, chased by the king. Who had Psalm 32? Okay, um, there are other times that David was in <coughs> agony. I would say he was in this darkness, though if you passed him in the hallway, he'd be looking pretty good. Yeah, it's all good. Life's good. Life's good. It'd be the year after he sinned with Bathsheba. Everything's pretty good. Yeah, doing okay. Yeah, yeah we're pregnant and... It's going to be great. Hoping it's a boy. Yeah, life's good. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David knew what he did. Not only did David, David know what he did, he knew that God knew what he did. He knew. And how was that year for David? It was rotten. It was rotten. For someone like him to know God's physical power, the hand of God in war, Terrible. Another time, as a consequence of this, 
his son Amnon takes his daughter Tamar wrongly. David does nothing. Absalom, Tamar's brother, goes, okay, and slays Amnon in a nutshell. And Absalom flees. And David does nothing. His family is exploding around him and he's doing nothing. Dads, is that going to affect you? Absolutely. Absalom dies and David's in despair. I mean, 2 Samuel is a mess. As you read through David's sins. David spent days, weeks, years in darkness. Jeremiah, he's known as what? The weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. Do you think he had some days? Jeremiah 15, verse 10. Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. Hmm. Well-received prophet, huh? Is any prophet well-received? Sometimes. The king goes, oh, so good to see you. Oh, you're going to indict me on my sin again. Great. You know, it's just, the prophet shows up at the door, you're going, oh man, it's probably not a good thing. And so you, it's not surprising that the one who exposes your sin is not going to be a liked individual. And Jeremiah shouldered that constantly. And it got really bad uh, for Jeremiah. There was a time when he was, Going to take care of some business. Chapter 37, verses 11 to 15. Now when the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to receive his portion there among the people. When he was at the Benjamin gate, a sentry there named... Don't worry, just skip him. I, the son of Shelemiah, son of Hananiah, seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, you are, deserting, you are deserting to the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah said, It is a lie. I am not deserting to the Chaldeans. But Arijah would not listen to him, and seized Jeremiah, and brought him to the officials. And the officials were enraged at Jeremiah, and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary. For it had been made a prison. Neat. Read 38, verse 6 also. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. Yes. Jeremiah's going to go take care of some business. And he gets arrested wrongly and beaten. 
and they so despised him as, as the armies begin to besiege Jerusalem that they throw him into a cistern. Cisterns is, are where they collected water. But this was <coughs> a cistern that wasn't working properly and the water leaked out. Or it could have been used for refuse. And so they threw him, well, they didn't throw him, they lowered him by ropes, that was kindly, of them into this, and he, it was just squalor in the bottom, and he sank in the mud. How's that for a season? A tale of two disciples. Both disciples betray the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter and Judas. Both of them were affected by their betrayal. They were affected similarly. How were they affected? Now, we're not talking about what they did, but how were they affected? Peter did what? They both had remorse. Denied Christ. How much? How much remorse? Yeah. Intense remorse. Peter went out and wept bitterly. bitterly. Went out and wept bitterly. I mean, the scene in Luke, when Peter denies Jesus the third time, and Luke's gospel is the only one that tells this, Jesus looked at Peter when the rooster crowed. They made eye contact when the rooster crowed. That, that scene is, one, to me, one of the most epic scenes in all of Scripture. When God looks you in the eye and He knows what you did. You just betrayed Him. Is Peter's betrayal any less than Judas's? Can you quantify them? Go, well. Not in God's eyes. Say what? I'd say not in God's eyes. Yeah, you know, Judas turned him in, you go, okay, that's bad. Peter just denied him. But But Peter was in Peter was in like we read through this again this week and like I was realizing then like Peter was rebelling, like when Jesus is telling him, you know, like get behind me Satan, like Mm -hmm. he was like, Well not while I'm around. He said, this is my plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's on the He's the one that tries to lead the fight. And then I was even reading about, or somebody was talking about how the, the, some of the Gospels omitted his name because it would have been criminal what he did to, to the whatever. So mm-hmm. I mean, like, he tried to work against God's plan that night yeah. physically and criminally yeah. and would have been taken in uh, righteously, could have been, been charged yeah. that night. Like, he, he was... Not not just not just what's the word? Not just uh, weakness of right. like of, of denying right. Christ. Like, this was serious. Like he's he's he, he so, was not on Jesus' team that night. So both of these men well, both in that, I mean Jesus said the one who dips bread with me right now mm-hmm. is gonna betray me. And then with the kids to betray Now Christ had already prophesied what's going to happen to both of these men. Christ had already told Peter, when you are restored, go and strengthen your brothers. Okay. 
and he had already testified the son of perdition better that he had not been born. But they both despaired. And then probably the most epic individual in all of scripture who faced an incredibly dark season was Jesus. Jesus. You know, from the night. I mean, this weighed on him how long? At least all of the Gospels, at least all of his ministerial life, he knew how long before was the awareness that the Son of God was going to do. When did that understanding come into him as the Son of God and Son of Man that he knew he was going to be laying down his life? That's, a, that's rhetorical. <laughs> yeah, I know, it doesn't say. So the book answer would be it, it doesn't say, but it, it's, it's plain in the Gospels that this was known by him. And you get insights throughout the Gospels that it wore on him, that he would seek time and fellowship and strengthening with his father. So... You know, in this, so we look, we look at these, we go, here, these are, these are great guys. These are, these are giants in the faith. It's the Son of God. So what are some reasons, okay, what are some reasons here in the, just the last few minutes that the saint is going to find himself in darkness? The Lord's will. Always. Okay, that's kind of the, the over, how about some things under the sun? What are some reasons under the sun? Well, the consequences of living in a sinful world are death and darkness and evil and corruption. We're going to find ourselves in times of despair and grief. Okay, so let's get specific. I'm sorry, Elaine. Okay, sin. Good. Our own sin. What are some other reasons you're going to find yourself in darkness and despair? Relational issues, uh, financial issues. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna write them all up. We, you know, let's continue to riff. Did you say sickness? Sickness, sickness. I gotta get my knees replaced. Oh, I can't. Maybe I can't afford it. Genuine mental health. Like, like I've read about people who, who grow up in in traumatic situations for long periods of time. Like, their brain chemically functions different than us. They they they, they can know God, but their ability to have peace is quite. Okay. What else? Gospel failure. I didn't win this. I had, a, I had an opportunity to win this. I didn't win this. Again, I didn't win this. Or when, uh, just like here recently in the news, you know, other professed Christians falling away from faith. Oh. So. You are going to be pushed into this. Now, I would contend here in the last minute that God expects you to be in these situations. How can I say with confidence that God expects you to be here? In this world, you will have trials, tribulations. 
He said so. What, what did? What did God, God, said God said so. You have the Psalms in front of you. You know, just here, here are some verses. He says, cast your anxiety upon him, which implies what? You have anxiety. Fear not, which implies you're going to be afraid. I, I just started reading into, uh, from Deuteronomy into Joshua. It's like the, the only thing that's said over and over and over and over and over is be strong and courageous. Like over and over and over and over again. Why does he have to say that? Because he's going to, yeah, he's not going to want to. I will never leave you. Why does he say that? Yeah, because you're going to feel alone. Lo, I am with you always, because you're going to feel alone. So we know that we are going to be here next week. We're going to talk about, what do I do when I am here? How, how can I abide this without it just destroying me? Because that's what Satan would like, is for you to be rendered Impotent, useless, dead, destroyed. That's what Satan would like. What do we do next time? Father, guard us even this week and guide us not to despair but to hope in you. Oh God, when we are in these days, we will cling to you, our God and our Savior. Thank you for the the truth, veracity of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.